The Blue Stocking by Epps Sargent. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. When Madame de Stal asked Napoleon who he thought was the greatest woman ever to have lived, he promptly replied, she who has borne the greatest number of children. My friend Mrs. Flutter differed in opinion from the First Consul. It would seem to have been her conviction that the greatest woman was she who had written the greatest number of stanzas, no matter what might be their quality. From this you will perceive that Mrs. Flutter was a blue stocking. I feel a certain delicacy in approaching the subject, for, to let the reader into a secret, it was in my editorial capacity that I first became acquainted with the heroine of my narrative, which, by the way, is every word true. She would send to me large rolls of manuscript tied with blue ribbons, accompanied by a triangular note which contained a request that I would read and inwardly digest her effusions and publish them with such corrections in punctuation as I thought proper. Hard and perplexing is the fate of an editor. While gallantry urges him to admire, how often will discrimination compel to condemn? Professional confidence should be especially sacred. But it is my foible, when I have hit upon a good thing, to be reluctant to keep it to myself. I must, I will tell you all about the fair flutters, for it, a laugh at the time, as a diner out of my acquaintance is in the habit of saying when his jests misfire. The shortest way of arriving at a competent knowledge of the domestic history and position of the Flutter family at the period to which I refer is to listen to a conversation between Flutter himself and Captain Plug, you know Plug, which took a place at the house of the former while he and his friend were waiting for the appearance of dinner and Mrs. Epp. "'Well, Flutter, my boy,' said Plug, as he seated himself in an armchair before a comfortable wood-fire, and drew both from his ankles over his knees as if he were encouraging them to get warm. "'Well, Flutter, you are the most enviable dog of my acquaintance. A snug property, safe business, fine home, pretty wife, nice baby, good health, troops of friends. What in creation do you want more to make you happy?' Ah, Flutter, I wish I had got married twenty years ago. Nothing like matrimony, I am convinced, to smooth the downhill path of life. Nothing like a sweet-tempered, cheerful, attentive, domestic, affectionate wife to fit a man for heaven. Zounds, if it wasn't for this confounded wig, these gray whiskers, I would propose for somebody tomorrow. Flutter suddenly placed his hand on his friend's shoulder and heaved a sigh. Then, patting him gently, he said in a mysterious tone, Plug, take my advice, and keep as you are. Keep as I am? You're the last man in the world, Dick, from whom I would expect such counsel. Are you not the happiest of husbands? Colonel, said Flutter, 
lowering his voice and casting a furtive glance about him. I doubt if there is such a thing as a happy husband. Depend upon it, tis all a fable. He no more exists than the phoenix or the merman. When a poor devil is once caught in the connubial noose, pride, policy, and a thousand obvious inducements prevent his letting the world see his disappointment and discontent. But, oh, believe me, there is not one who doesn't sigh bitterly and often for his free, gay, careless bachelor life. I speak confidentially, for we are old friends, and you are not so quite poorly off for subject for merriment as to make a jest of what I am telling you in sincerity of heart. To be sure not, my dear boy. You amaze me, however, by what you say. I hope to be saved. I have looked upon you until this moment as one of the most fortunate of men. Ah, Colonel, if you could but take a look behind the domestic curtain, you would see that all is not as it should be. Plug. I cannot well imagine a woman more unfitted to be a wife and mother than Mrs. Flutter. Good gracious, you confound me. What can have happened? What is the matter? You may possibly remember that when I was an unmarried young man about the town, I was afflicted, like many other worthy young men, with a sort of rhyming mania, which, like whooping cough and the measles, attacks a certain juvenile constitutions, some with more and some with less virulence. I had it very badly for a time, as many an album and many a country newspaper will yet witness. In the height of my complaint, I encountered my present wife, then Miss Myrtle, a pretty romantic girl, in short, a congenial spirit who admired my poetry, poetry indeed, and played Eloise to my Abelard. I married her. Wretched blunder. Fatal error. Explain yourself. Do you not see? My wife was a blue stocking, and a blue stocking she is still. Pray, what is a blue stocking? Alas, I can give you a whole vocabulary of definitions. She is a woman, Plug, who wears a blue stocking instead of a white because they do not show dirt so soon, whereby she has saved the trouble of changing them as often as cleanliness would suggest. She is a literary character, and precious litter she keeps about her to be sure. She is an individual who is too much absorbed in her own sublime imaginings to attend to the vulgar details of a household. She is careless and slatternly in her attire because she has heard that indifference to dress is a mark of genius. She neglects her children because she better loves the offspring of her brain. She prefers the venal praise of some dunce of a critic to her husband's affection. She would rather have you call her a bad wife than find fault with her ode to despair. She bores her visitors by reading her productions aloud, and is too lost in her own complacency to witness their impatience and sneers. In short, she is a sort of Lady Macbeth, who instead of plotting against the life of Duncan, murders the Queen's English. And is it possible, Dick, that your wife is such a woman as you describe? Without exaggeration, she is, Plug. It was no later than last night that she woke me from my first doze, saying, What a fine idea had entered her head, and she must note it down. She rose from the bed and lit the lamp, not, however, 
before she had knocked down a book or two and waked the baby by the noise. Without taking the slightest notice of his crying, she sat down at a writing table and was soon in a fine frenzy over some trashy production, which she calls an ode. And there I was, sitting upright and shivering on the bed, with the baby screaming in my arms, while Mrs. Flutter was jotting down her fine ideas. I'm foolery. Why, George, it is too bad. So it is, Dick. We must find some way of reforming it. I really believe your wife at heart is all correct, as the politicians say. I can't help but laughing when I think of what a ridiculous figure I cut, rocking the baby to and fro in my night clothes while the mother was writing poetry, piling up the agony, as the Western theatrical critic said of Forrest. It was a rich scene for a painter. What a thing Cruikshank would have made of it. Ha, ha, ha. I see you can extract some fun from your misery. What a subtle chemist is a sunny temper. Any other man but myself would go mad, I am sure, with such a wife. My dear friend, it was but the other day, the day of the Croton celebration, that on coming home, fatigued and sleepy, I learnt that all the servants in the house had been permitted to go to the theatre. Entering my chamber, I found the bed unmade, and will you believe it, Mrs. Flutter insisted on my making it myself, because she was just in the midst of a story, which she promised complete for some sickly magazine. You made the bed, of course. What could I do but submit? Every day I am subjected to similar impositions. If a washerwoman is to be hired, or a bauble bought for the baby, I have to execute the commission. My wife's genius soars above such paltry domestic arrangements. She will have to take but one more step to set me to mending stockings or washing dishes. But, Dick, who encourages your wife in these preposterous practices? A few seedy gentlemen in black, hangers-on upon newspapers and periodicals, whom she invites to dinner, who pay for their grub in puffs. One of them called her the other day the Madame de Stahl of America, and they all make her out the greatest literary phenomenon of the century. What hearty laughs they must be having among themselves at her infatuation and credulity. By the way, she has invited some of them to supper this evening. The poor devils are willing to swallow her poetry for the sake of the agremons it which accompany it, stewed oysters, chicken salad, and champagne. Is there no way of unmasking the parasites? I can think of none. Can you? Yes. Suppose we... Here the entrance of Mrs. Flutter checked the conversation. The lady's manner was abstracted as she entered the room, and it was not until her husband said, Colonel Plug, my dear, that she abruptly started as if from a reverie, looking at her guest with lacklustre eyes, and exclaimed, in a tone that would have done no discredit to Mrs. Siddons, "'How fare you, sir?' Then, without waiting to hear his reply, walked towards the window, and, folding her arms, gazed up at the clouds. The colonel, in the meantime, took a survey of her person. Her dress was costly, but carelessly arranged. An elegant lace cape, was parted at her right shoulder instead of on her bosom. A rich handkerchief, which she held, was soiled with ink spots, 
and her shoes were so worn as to exhibit the whole of the heels of her stockings. Affectation, the grossest affectation, muttered the colonel as he finished his inspection and turned away. The colonel was sincerely attached to his friend Flutter and seriously revolved in his mind various projects for curing the blue stocking of her infatuation. With this intent, he took particular pains to make himself agreeable to her at table, and the dinner passed off cheerfully and acceptably to all. Plug, to whom no topic came amiss, amused his friends with the anecdotes of their mutual acquaintances, discussed the latest new novel, he had never read a word of it, by the way, with Mrs. Flutter, and finally entered upon a disquisition in regard to the merits of Professor Cobweb and Mr. J. Doleful Drivel, whose contribution to the magazine seemed to excite the especial admiration of the blue stocking. Although the colonel, ignorant fellow, had never before been aware of the existence of these tremendous luminaries, it was amazing to see with what spirit he entered into a controversy in regard to their writings. Cobweb seemed to be the lady's favorite, but her guests took up the cudgels for drivel and maintained the superiority of that prolific author in the most animated terms. At length the colonel adroitly broached the subject of Mrs. Flutter's own delectable productions. "'You expect some literary friends to see you this evening, I believe,' asked he. "'Yes, some gentlemen connected with the press who are anxious to read some new pieces of mine. "'I have a plan for putting their good taste and critical honesty to the test. Will you hear it?' "'Certainly. What may it be?' The colonel drew a shabby-looking newspaper from his pocket and said, "'Here is a copy of the Chunkville Clarion, a smart little paper, published in a town out west, which I bought at auction the other day. The poet's corner is filled with productions of the Chunkville bards. Now I wish you to give me one of your poems and allow me to read them out loud, as if coming from Chunkville.' while the Chunkville poems shall be attributed to you. You may try it, said Mrs. Flutter, after a pause, but I am sure that Dobster and Dot will know my style. They have often told me they could detect it among a thousand. We shall see, rejoined the colonel, struggling to repress a smile. Eight o'clock brought with it Messrs. Dobster and Dot, accompanied by a gentleman in a rusty suit of black, with a rather suspicious tinge of crimson to his face, whom they introduced as Reverend Mr. Drone, the author of Virgin's Vow and other poems. Mrs. Flutter received her new acquaintances very graciously, but was obliged candidly to confess that she had never before heard of Virgin's Vow, whereupon the reverend gentleman solemnly informed her that it had been printed merely for private distribution. As he said this, Mr. Dot was seen to puff out his cheek with his tongue and tread upon Mr. Dobster's toes. The literary gentleman being all seated, the colonel said, 
I will first read to you a little poem called The Forsaken One, the authorship of which you, of course, recognize. And here he glanced significantly at the blue stocking and bowed. Then placing the manuscript behind the newspaper so as to conceal his design, he recited some stanzas written by a young miss of thirteen for the Chunkville Clarion. It was difficult to describe the ecstasy into which Messrs. Dobster, Dot, and Drone were thrown by this effusion. No term seemed adequate for the expression of their admiration. They clapped their hands and cried, Beautiful! Superb! Sublime! and seemed almost disposed to roll on the carpet in the excess of their transport. Mr. Drone, whose eyes had been adoringly fixed upon some champagne bottles and decanters on a side table, suddenly looked up towards the ceiling, shook his head, and heaved a deep sigh. His enthusiasm was obviously too deep for word. Pantomime could alone interpret it. A contemptuous smile began to settle upon Mrs. Flutter's lips. It was unnoticed by all except the colonel, who resumed his elocutionary task by saying, And now, gentlemen, I will, with your permission, read you some lines which I think extremely clever by a young female friend of mine. I do not consider them unworthy to follow even the polished stanzas of our fair hostess. The blue stocking's heart beat high as the colonel commenced reading her own elaborate Ode to Despair. She could not but admit he did perfect justice to it in the recitation, but notwithstanding this, he had not half completed it when the Reverend Mr. Drone gave a yawn and said in an audible whisper to Dot, Sad stuff, sad stuff. Dot nodded in acquiescence. Dobster played impatiently with his watch-key, and, catching Mrs. Flutter's eye, shrugged his shoulders and made a wry face. The colonel continued to read. Mr. Drone hemmed, laughed sneeringly, and suddenly interrupted him with, "'Stop there, if you please, sir. What does the writer say?' With frenzied eye he lifts his sphere and calls the listening spheres to hear.' Allow me to expose the absurdity of those lines. The writer, after making despair go through a variety of absurd antics, represents him as lifting a spear with a frenzied eye. Now it strikes me that a brawny arm would be much more useful to lift with. And calls the listening spheres to hear. If spheres are listening, they must, of course, hear. Tautology that. Then why have the two words so nearly allied in sound as spear and sphere? I think, sir, if the author is a friend of yours, your friendship should induce you not to expose her frailties any farther. It is too sickening, exclaimed Dot. Why dose us with such stuff after feasting our ears with the forsaken one? asked Mr. Dobster. Here the blue stocking, whose color during the last ten minutes had been rapidly varying from white to red, from red to white, rose, 
put her handkerchief to her eyes, and rushed from the room. She did not appear there again during the evening. It is not difficult to anticipate the denouement of our story. We found Mrs. Flutter a blue stocking, but we do not leave her one. A fortnight after the occurrence just described, her husband called upon Colonel Plug and said, My dear friend, I can never sufficiently express to you my obligation for your lesson to my wife. It has entirely cured her of metromania, under which she labored. She thoroughly abhors the sight of pen, ink, and paper, and never wears her shoes down at the heel. She is now the best, most attentive, and amiable of wives, and I am the happiest dog that ever trod through Broadway. Come and dine with us this afternoon, and you shall see how effectual has been your prescription. Is the Reverend Mr. Drone to be present? No more of that, Hal. Why do you ask? Because if you want to find him, I may be able to inform you to his whereabouts. The last time I saw him, he was standing at the corner of Chamber Street in the capacity of a peripatetic advertisement covered all over behind and before with placards, announcing the place of exhibition of the premium ox. <laughs> well, anything for an honest living. Will you come? Yes, with all my heart. End of The Blue Stocking by Epp Sargent Read by Kelly Taylor <laughs>